Hi, this is John Van Lunen, and you are listening to Treasures of the Outer Banks. In this podcast, we talk to people who live on the Outer Banks, and through their stories, we'll explore what makes this place so special. So if you downloaded this podcast to find out where the gold is hidden, my apologies. But if you want to meet the people we treasure on this sandbar, stick around. I'm sure you'll enjoy their stories of history, local personalities, and community. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is John Van Lunen, and you are listening to Treasures of the Outer Banks podcast. I am flying solo today, and I want to take a few minutes uh, to talk about some of the people that I've met on the Outer Banks. Uh, this this podcast is meant to celebrate the people on the Outer Banks, so I thought I'd talk about a few people that really got me excited when I when I moved down here. When I moved down to the Outer Banks, uh, we bought a business, we bought a house, we were starting to kind of settle in a little bit, settle in we started to settle in a little bit and we really only knew a handful of people and, and mostly that was me. Bonnie, you know, was just kind of along for the ride. Um, she was finishing up school and the few people that I knew were only people that I had met through, you know, buying our house and buying the business and just kind of settling in. Mm-hmm. And it was not a very long list at all. So, you know, we, we buy the business, we, of course, you know, all of our relatives wanted to come down, all of our friends and relatives wanted to come down and stay with us at the beach. Uh, they thought it was cool that we had moved to the beach and the Outer Banks is a natural attraction. Something that's kind of interesting about me, if if you can say that, is I will typically just go on searches to try to find things. You know, sometimes I go on the internet and just try to, you know, start digging around. I call it my squirrel phase. You know, I see a squirrel and I just, you know, want to chase after it. And sometimes I go down to some rabbit holes every now and then. And sometimes I just drive around and walk into shops looking, you know, for inspiration or something. And somebody told me I needed a CPA to uh, take care of my finances with the business. And I noticed a CPA office just a couple blocks from our house. And on my way to the grocery store, I hopped off my bike and walked right in and introduced myself to Debbie Leach. Uh, she's now known as Debbie Knapp. And uh, immediately, you know, impressed with her professionalism. And I, I felt like I was in good hands. And for years, she took good care of us. You know, there was never any surprises. She always fixed problems. She was always available. She she did some little things for free. You know, she wasn't out there to try to nickel and dime us or anything like that. And she was just, you know... It, call it serendipity or whatever you want, but, um, you know, it just happened to work out for me. You know, I'm sure I could have, uh, you know, walked into her office and been turned off and I could have turned around and walked right out. But, but immediately I was, um, drawn to her and her professionalism and all that good stuff. And, and it worked out great. Uh, on a side note, I, uh, I don't know how I found this office, but there was an office in Kildover Hills right off the bypass. And I was looking for an attorney and I walked into this office and nobody's in the foyer or the waiting room or whatever you want to call it. And I'm standing there. I probably stood there for a good five minutes. And as I'm standing there, I'm, I'm looking around the office and, you know, just one, seeing for signs of life and two, just seeing what they got hanging on the wall. And I notice a bunch of signs on the wall and and they're, they're all a little odd. Like, you know, uh, we shoot every fifth salesman, uh, you know, this place is protected by Smith and Wesson and, and, you know, some other odd statements. And I have nothing against guns. And if you want to own a gun, that's fine. But I just felt it was odd when you walk into a place of business and whether they were trying to be funny or not, 
If it was one sign, I'd say, oh, okay, haha, ha, I get it. But it was multiple signs and multiple messages, almost, you know, trying to intimidate the person walking in and not feeling welcome at all. After five minutes, nobody ever came down. Nobody ever popped their head in or anything like that. I turned around and walked out the door, never to stop in that place again. Needless to say, that place no longer exists in that location. Maybe they exist in some other shape or form somewhere else. But, you know, so that there was there was a fact-finding hunt that, you know, ran into a brick wall and, you know, probably for the best. Um, another time I was, I had a pontoon, but we had a pontoon, but at the business, we rented it out and it started to form some little cracks on the aluminum hulls and it would take on water. And it, it was frankly kind of a gigantic headache. Uh, aluminum in the salt air takes a lot of abuse. It starts to slowly wear away, starts to pit, it gets weaker, gets brittle. And, and I was, as I found out from talking to uh, welders is that it's also hard to work on aluminum when it gets like that you know you just put a little too much heat on it and poof it's it disintegrates pretty quickly so um, I had this problem with this boat and I you know I had a couple choices either try to get it fixed or take it to somebody who could fix it or throw it away and throwing away the boat was not financially feasible so I'd go to Kitty Hawk Welding which is right across the Wright Memorial Bridge in Currituck County. And I pop in there and just ask them, I explain my situation and ask them if they can help out. And they very politely said, we don't do small projects like that. But just a block away is a guy named Brian Caton. His company is called BEC Welding. <laughs> and the way they described him back then was he's a very independent welder. And I... I appreciated that that lead. I got right back in my car, drove a block over, and and Brian was in a shop. And if you've ever been to Brian's shop, well, you know, I, I should say that in the past tense because he's pretty much shut down the shop. He's semi-retired now, and he doesn't do a lot of welding anymore like that. But if you walked in the shop, there's a good chance he'd be in. Uh, he works long, hard days. Or he used to work long, hard days. And he was always there. He's always available. And the great thing about Brian that I love was he would almost always just put down his tools and just start talking. And right from walking in, he's he's asking me questions. You know, we're making connections. We got dialogue going on. Maybe there's a couple stories told that first day. I can't quite remember. But, you know, and maybe he was feeling me out um, as, as I was kind of feeling him out. Uh, but he quickly took the driver's seat. And I think he figured out that I was worth working with, that I wasn't some guy that just blew in off the highway. Um, so he said he'd accept the job. He said, drop it off. We'll take a look at it. Um, and, and yes, he fixed it. And he's, he, at, you know, he was a master craftsman uh, with the welding torch and, you know, always took good care of me. And, and, you know, things that I would normally throw away, I'd say, hey, got this thing. He's like, drop it off. And Sure enough, he'd fix it. You know, um, I was just again, I was kind of I was new to the industry. I was very naive about stuff like that. But it was he was one of those very valuable, valuable people that I met early on that was just became so important to everything I did in the business. Uh, just like my CPA, she became very important year to year. You know, somebody I could always rely on. And and those people are priceless. You know, you could replace any of them, I'm sure, but you, you're you're probably going to get a you're probably going to find a big hole 
um, trying to replace some good quality people. So uh, Brian was, you know, has been a, a good friend. He's still a good friend to this day. Like I said, he has semi-retired. He's more or less shut down the shop. He still owns the building and the land there. Um, and I think he just takes on small little jobs. You know, he's he's getting up there in years, so I think he wants to, you know, I think he realizes he just can't, you know, move the heavy weights and, and climb up and down boats all day and that type of thing. I think he's just trying to take it easy. But, you know, he's the same old Brian. You, you stop in, he'll stop whatever he's doing, and, you know, he'll talk to you, catch up with you all the time. Um, you know, he, he's done so many great projects for us. Something slightly amusing, depending on how you look at it, is uh, my wife had a, a, uh, a thing at work. So, so my wife works at Old Dominion University. They have a cadaver anatomy class. Um, and in cadaver anatomy, they have a, a real human body. Obviously, it's dead. Um, they keep it in formaldehyde, and they keep it in a big tank. And, you know, you can, you can crank it out of the tank um, with some um, special, you know, lift kind of things. You know, the class looks at the body, human body, studies it, learns from it, da 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 da, da. Uh, It's, in fr frankly, it's, it's an effective way of, you know, learning as opposed to just looking at pictures and drawings and, you know, video or whatever. So it, they had this tank. I guess it had, oh, one of the cranks had broken. You know, I don't know if it was, you know, just built poorly or if somebody just unintentionally, accidentally broke it, but it needed to be fixed. Although, you know, big gigantic stainless tank um, holds a human body and all you know gallons and gallons of formaldehyde so not easily replaceable um, and so we we put in a call to Brian and say hey, Brian you want to take a look at it at this and Brian ever the craftsman <laughs> I feel like he's always looking for challenge he said absolutely so so Bonnie trucks it all the way down from Norfolk Virginia drops it off and and uh, of course that was uh, kind of a point of uh, conversation for a lot of people that stopped in to see Brian. One guy thought it was an ice cooler and thought, you know, out loud how 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 much you know fish you could probably stock in that cooler. And when uh, Brian explained to him what that that big stainless steel box was really used for, <laughs> the guy wasn't so excited about it anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he kind of scooched away a little bit. He, he didn't want to be uh, associated with too closely. But uh, Brian did get it fixed. Um, you know, worked like a champ, saved uh, the university some money. Um, and, you know, once again, he was the hero. So, uh, and, and the cool thing about Brian, which always impressed me, was he was a master of everything. I mean, he's a licensed builder. He's a gunsmith, uh, woodworker. I think he's... I think he used to make some surfboards um, and, of course, his welding. I mean, he mostly specializes in T-tops, ladders, and and uh, that type of thing for, for you know, larger boats and stuff. But, uh, I mean, he can go down to, you know, the little stuff, too. His fabrication skills are, are excellent. I know some people bring vehicles in to, you know, maybe fabricate something on there. Oh, actually, and speaking of which, uh, we have an old 68 Bronco and somebody gave me, I mean, just randomly, they gave me, I think I traded something out for him. I forget what I gave to him. But a fellow Bronco owner gave me an old roll bar. Well, the roll bar was a little tweaked, I think, because it had been tested at some point, if you know what I mean. And um, and I wanted to install it in my truck. And 
I, I brought it down there. I think Brian straightened it out just a hair and, and he and I worked, uh, you know, to, to get that thing put into place and, you know, cut a few things, drilled a few holes. And it was just, it's just amazing. You know, there are a few times when I was actually able to just sit and watch him work. And, uh, the guy was an artisan. I mean, it was just amazing what he could do. Um, and I don't think people appreciate some of that as much, you know. Um, it's hard to look at a plumber and say, wow, he's an artisan. But somebody who can almost make something from scratch, like a welder, a builder, you know, any kind of fabricator like that, you know, are just are just amazing to me. And Brian Caton is one of those guys. Um, trying to think what else he, he, he fixed, uh, helped fix for me. But he's done a lot of work. I and mean, he's worked on parasail boats and all kinds of things. Um, I think even some campers. Uh, so he's, it's unfortunate he's, he's not able to continue doing what he's doing, you know, what he used to do for me. But, um, you know, I can say, I know him and I can say he's done uh, a lot of good work for me. Um, but just, a, just a really great guy from Brian. As I got to know Brian better, I realized that he had, he had contacts and friends all over the place. And if he vouched for somebody, you knew he was good. And when I was building an addition underneath my house on uh, Spindrift Trail, I said, hey, Brian, I need a plumber and I need an electrician. And, you know, he, he would give me numbers and he would he could almost spit them out verbatim. And he knew, you know, who I needed to call. You know, you, did, you didn't have to get on Google. You didn't have to get on Angie's list. All you had to do is get on Brian's list. And he would tell you exactly who to get. And one of the guys that he... Uh, pushed in my direction where I he pushed me in his direction was Tom Blanchard and Tom Blanchard was just awesome and unfortunately we lost Tom several years ago and that was heartbreaking not because well not because I lost uh, a guy who could come by my house and fix just about anything but just a nice guy and a guy that you know we used to drop everything and just start talking um and he could talk, <laughs> you know, Brian Caton can talk, but Tom could really talk, but it was always interesting and it was always fun and it was always enjoyable. And Brian, uh, not Brian, Tom Blanchard, he was a multi-skilled guy. He had degrees in engineering. I'm pretty sure he had a master's degree in engineering, I think from Old Dominion University. Um, and he, he could fix anything. He was an electrician. Um, and I never had to worry about anything. If, if, uh, if he was in the house, he could figure it out. And he was an all, also an HVAC guy. You know, it, I think he was one of those early guys on the Outer Banks that, and because of his education as an engineer, he could figure it out. He was smart enough. He could do the class, get the education, and he knew what he was doing. Uh, but he was just a regular old guy. He alluded to having a lot of money at one time, but you know, when I knew him, he was he was living a simple lifestyle and he was happy with that. He'd go to work every day and you know do his thing. Uh, and it was unfortunate, you know, cancer came along right when he was just doing his thing, and that pretty much shut him down. And and uh, I think maybe a year later he was gone, which was which was heartbreaking. But Tom, our HVAC system go down, and I I called up Tom and and the first thing out of his mouth was you know. Your wife has got those two little kids at the time. It was two little kids in there, and I know it's hot. It's summertime. He's like, I'll get over there as soon as I can. You know, I, I don't want them to, you know, cooking in that house because I know it's hot out. 
his concern for us definitely reverberated for me and it just it just showed you what a kind-hearted guy he was he was always looking out for people um he he didn't want you to be bothered or anything like that so he he, he was probably out there, and I think within 24 hours, he, he had the thing fixed. Another time, uh, we had an HVAC system. Uh, we had two heat pumps. So, you know, one went out one year, and I think it was a year, year and a half later, the other one went out. But um, he he came out, and he starts tinkering around, looking around. And because he's an engineer, he can really pinpoint what's going on. And he 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 comes to me and says, well... I think I found it. I think it's in this box. I think it's the switch. Da, 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 da. I'm going to remove this. I'm going to take it back to my shop. I'm going to work on it on my bench, test it out, and I should be able to get it fixed. I should be able to get back here by tomorrow sometime and get you up and running. And and that just really impressed me. Again, as not so much as an artisan, but just as an from an engineering standpoint, here was a guy that, you know, you know, he he, he probably could have charged me a lot more. He probably could have sold me on replacing bigger stuff but he pinpointed he he got it pinpointed down to just a switch and he tested it out got the replacement brought it back and plugged it in and for a fraction of the cost we were back up and running again and that really impressed me you know i should take a moment to say that i've dealt with and, and ever since tom passed away i've, I've had to deal with several other HVACP companies and I don't want to throw people under the bus but I'll just say this this is my 10,000 foot observation and that is a lot of these HVAC companies they seem really eager to sell you a whole new heat pump when you don't absolutely need a whole new heat pump it's like they don't want to go through the, the hassle of trying to fix the problem when they can make a lot more money just selling you a whole new HVAC system and that kind of irks me you know it's like give me some value here you know just, just I'm willing to pay you for your work just come out here and do some work and uh, that's what always impressed me with Tom because you know being an engineer he could fix things and he he, he took good care of uh, he took good care of us for a long time. So I'm putting in this addition underneath my house and I don't remember the exact sequence of events, but um, I paid a company to install the outlets and I must have paid somebody to, to put up some sheetrock. Although that, that sounds kind of odd. I don't know why I would pay somebody else to do that because I'm fully capable of hanging sheetrock, but they must have hung up the sheetrock and they covered every single outlet, <laughs> you know? except one, I should say, except one outlet. They covered every outlet except for one. And so I called Tom Blanchard and I'm like, hey, uh, so I got this issue. Son of a gun. Mm -hmm. he, he comes in there and he, and he brought this little metal rod. And it must have been pretty stiff because he would just go to the wall and poke a hole and he would hit he, he he would hit these outlets every almost every single time, you know. And if obviously if he didn't hit one, he'd just you know we could just spackle over that little tiny hole. It, it wasn't a big deal. But he he said you know, I I have a good idea where these guys are going to put their outlets. Um, so I just started with one, and then you just go you know code usually means you're you're typically going to go over you know every I don't know 
eight feet or something like that, put another outlet. And he found all the outlets. And I was able, we were able to cut holes. Maybe He may have cut the holes because he knows how to do that stuff a lot better than I do. But we were able to find the outlets, and I was actually able to uh, plug in stuff in my, my addition there. So uh, just, you know, again, just a, a, a clever skill. And a, uh, a side note about Tom Blanchard that he talked about, you know, because we started talking about jet skis and he was fascinated about jet skis. I'd I'd be tinkering with jet skis and he would ask me about this, that, and the other thing. And honestly, you know, I've never really doctored up a jet ski. I just kind of fix them when they need to be fixed. And I can only go down so far. I, you know, I can do the, I can do a lot of the basics, but then, you know, as far as modifications and making, you know, really huge uh, repairs, it's just not in my wheelhouse. I just don't have the skill set. But he would always ask me questions. And what I found out was he used to race go-karts. And he may have raced a few of his own, but eventually he just became the mechanic of the go-kart. And again, going back to multi-skilled guys, here was a guy, electrician, HVAC, engineer. You know, he could, he could tear down a motor, modify it, and put it back together. And so what he learned in uh, the go-karting world and there's i guess there was a track out near elizabeth city that they'd have a lot of races but he did races um all over the country and he even said that he was basically in the u.s championship race he described it as the the daytona race of go-kart racing you know the, the super bowl of racing and i forget how he did or, or you know but he was he was good enough to get in that race that was kind of a big deal and 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 he was obviously very proud of it but uh you know and he would tell me some interesting little stories about the go-kart racing world and stuff and and he said uh and this this always kind of stuck with me especially since i coach lacrosse and and stuff like that and it was you don't you know a a winning go-kart or race car or whatever is it was it wasn't just one idea or one modification that won you a race. It was if you made this improvement, maybe you shave off a tenth. If you made that improvement, there'd be another tenth. And then over time, you know, you, you could add up a bunch of tenths. Next thing you know, you might be a full second or two faster than your competition. So it was all about shaving time off here and there. You know, uh, the right tire pressure on your tires. Uh, you know, different kinds of tires, maybe a different uh, aerodynamic uh, spoilers or shapes for your vehicle, whatever. And, you know, I've tried to use that same rule with, with coaching sports. You know, it's like the great players, it's it's usually not one thing that makes you a great player, but it's, you know, a little here, a little there. And if you can improve a little here, a little there, you can become a little bit better than your competition. Um, but you also got to know that they're probably trying to do the same thing as well. You know, so it's kind of an accumulation type of thing. And, um, you know, I, I thought that was a powerful lesson and, and it was just always interesting to hear him talk about that. And, you know, one thing he would say is, uh, he would work on, he'd be up all night tearing down a motor, modifying it, putting it back together. And, you know, maybe the next day or two days later, he'd give it to the driver and say, this is a winning motor, or this is a winning go-kart. Now it's up to you to go win the race. <laughs> you know, he was he was just so confident in his skill set that he could he could make a top notch motor, which always just really impressed me. And you know, I'm sure there's a lot of experimental um, things that he had to do, and I'm sure you know he went through that. But you know, as an engineer, I'm sure he knew exactly what 
he was looking for and what kind of improvements to make and and you know he had already learned the science of it now he just had to put it in you know practical sense so that was my good friend Tom Blanchard um, there's so many more friends that I made but right off the beginning those three people you know Debbie at the CPA office Brian at the welding shop and Tom you know with his electric electrical skills and HVAC skills they they were just huge friends and it kind of and it kind of showed me this you know regular kid from the suburbs of DC you know it, it showed me that kind of that country southern hospitality it's like um if you make good friends your friends will take care of you um and not to say that people in the big city or you know uh urban areas you know, you might not have people that take care of you, but I think back in this in the cities, you, you're probably going to rely on a lot of family members and stuff, and maybe your relationships are going to be a little superficial sometimes. And I, and I think uh, as over the years, I sometimes I'm suspicious of people. <laughs> you know, if they if they come right out and ask for something, I'm going to get I might get a little on the defensive, and I'm wondering what's in it for them. Even when people give me something, my first response, my first thought is, what's in it for them? Um, and sometimes people just want to do something nice for you. And if you can return the favor, awesome. Sometimes, you know, we pay it forward to the next guy who needs something. And I've tried to do that. Um, and I've tried not to forget, you know, all the great people that have helped me out over the years here on the Outer Banks. But um, th those three people were all kind of serendipitous to a point. Um, and then it just kind of built from there. Um, so, so proud to call them friends, so proud to have known them, so proud to have worked with them, um, and so thankful for all that they've done for me. That's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this talk. Uh, you know, I hope you share this podcast with others. Uh, maybe you got something out of it. If you have any requests, you want to hear about anything in particular, please let me know. Happy to share those thoughts with you. Uh, we'll be back next week with more stuff. And until then, have a good one. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you enjoyed these stories. I think the Outer Banks is a special place, and sharing it with other people who love the Outer Banks is a real privilege for me. If you have a specific topic you'd like to hear or a specific person, please leave a note in the comments and I'll see what I can do. Remember, if you want to find treasure on the Outer Banks, just talk to a local.